Okay, so we're going to we're going to look at Philippians three twelve through sixteen, and I've asked Riley if he will to read. So you got your microphone. I'm not going to ask you a bunch of questions like I normally do because we've already grilled your mom. Okay, so Riley's going to read Philippians uh, three twelve through sixteen. So if you have your worship guide, if you have your Bibles, let's read along with Riley. Not that. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made, it, has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on to, to, toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Okay, very good. Thank you, Riley. Um, so over the past couple of weeks, we have gone through chapter 2, and in chapter 2, uh, both Jeremiah, Jeremiah um, and I talked about Jesus' fellowship as it relates to our posture. If you'll remember, we used the word posture like, a hundred times over a two-week period of time. And the posture was really one of humility and other-centeredness, okay? And then last week, Sam came in, and Sam talked about um, just following Jesus with these, these four truths. I'll, I'll remind you. A Christ follower rejoices in the Lord, okay? A Christ follower places trust in Christ alone. A Christ follower counts everything else in life as a loss. And then a Christ follower seeks to know Jesus. That's his goal. That's her goal, is to seek to know Jesus. So if you hear these truths and they're a discouragement to you, and you're like, I don't know that, you know, I'm considering everything in life as a loss, go back to Philippians 1.6, okay? And, and this is kind of like the catalyst. This is the, the foundational verse that we keep on going back to. It's a process. The Lord began a good work in us, He'll bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So today we're going to continue talking about um, that process. Now, I've reworked this message about five times, okay? And it was, if you'll look at your worship guide, you're going to have four points on there. It was four truths. We're only going to hit two of them. Um, and there, there's a reason for that is because these two truths are so important that I didn't want to go too fast. Plus, I know that you all want out of here by 1 o'clock. And if I would have hit everything that I had in writing, uh, we would not have been out of here. You know, So you're only going to get two of your truths uh, today, and, um, and that's okay. Now, also, I want to pray for us as we move forward, because sometimes, especially, a chair's fine. A chair's fine, just in case, right? As long as I know that it's here, I'm fine. Um, thank you, my friend. But, you know, sometimes I may have like a theological axe to grind, and I don't even realize it. Sometimes I find myself, you know, maybe even be like, yeah, they need to understand this. And that's not what you need. You don't need Jerry's thoughts or Jerry's opinions or Sam's or anyone else's or Jeremiah's. You need to hear what the Word of God says, and we need to take the Word of God and break it down and understand what the Lord's trying to say to us. And then sometimes... I want you all to say, wow, Jerry really did well today. Well, you don't need that either, right? Jesus and Jesus alone needs to get the glory. So my prayer is, in John 3.30, 
we would decrease and he would increase. And the prayer is always that you'll only hear from the word of God. And if there's things that you're struggling with, that you'll come to me later, maybe we'll work some of those things through. But let me pray for us that every word that comes from my flesh would fall to the ground and every word that comes from God will sink into our hearts. Uh, Father, open up your word to us. This is such an important passage. I didn't realize how important it was until I really dug into it. And it has the potential to change our lives. So Lord, speak to us. And as I've just said, may every word that might be some kind of a, um, I don't know, an axe to grind on my part, just let it fall to the ground. Lord, may we only receive what comes from you by your spirit and by your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, y'all ready? Jump in. How many truths do we have today? Two. The title of today's sermon is two words, and it is going to be to press on. To press on. To press on means to move rapidly and decisively toward an object. Okay? To press on. So a few simple questions. You know, one, are you pressing on? You know, do you find yourself pressing on or are you in survival mode? And that is more kind of like what I'm doing this morning where you're just like hanging on, you know. And if you are pressing on, for what? What are you enduring for? What are you pressing on for? Is it retirement? Is it vacation? Is it Christmas? Is it a day that your health will be better than it is today? Is it to get out of the pandemic? You know, what are you pressing on for? Or or are we pressing on for the cause of the gospel, as it says in this passage that Riley just read, for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? Okay, so hopefully this passage will give some gospel clarity on what press on means to us here. So let's go back and look at the first few verses again. It says, not that I have already obtained this or am already made perfect. He says, but I press on to make it my own. And if you go back to the previous series of verses, you know, Paul's saying, I want to know Christ. You know, I want to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of fearing his sufferings. I want to know him so well because he knows me so well. And that's this thing that he's pressing toward. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul is beginning this section of our passage by reminding us of what he's already told us and what I referenced a few moments ago in Philippians 1.6, which is that Christianity is a process. You know, Jesus begins the process in us, and then he never quits until the day that we die or until the day that he comes back for us. And the goal is to conform us to the image of his son. Um, and as we discussed in chapter 2, the way that we will do that is through humility and the acknowledgement that we cannot do it on our own. The goal is it is God who's working in us to will and to act according to his, his good pleasure from chapter 2. So Paul acknowledges that he hasn't arrived. This is Paul. He says, I'm not there. I have not arrived. Even though positionally, he may be perfect. Okay, And if you'll remember, 
from our Gospel 101 series. Remember when we got to P? What did P stand for? Propitiation. Okay, I'm not going to go through this again, but propitiation, it was the mercy seat. That's what the word meant. And it was the place where righteous and perfect and holy God comes to receive an unholy people and he takes his righteousness and imputes it or gives it to them and extends mercy and grace to them and he takes the punishment for our sins so justice is served because he's paid the penalty for our sins but there's this substitute that takes place and we just couldn't find a better word than propitiation because of propitiation because of this great exchange that has taken place, God can now look upon sinful man and women, men and women, and he sees perfection, okay? So that's the spiritual lenses that the Lord looks at. But while we are on this earth, we are not a perfect people at all. So in saying this, Paul is saying, I haven't arrived. While I'm on this earth, I have not been made perfect. And he is correcting a belief that while in this world, um, that the thought that while we are in this world that we can attain to moral perfectionism or that we can live a sinless life. And it's just not possible. So 1 John 1.8 says it this way, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, after salvation, we will continue to sin and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Even Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. So when, if someone says that they you know, don't sin anymore, they've gotten to this place in their process of sanctification that they don't sin, you know, they're lying. You know, it's just not true, so don't buy it. There is no moral perfection in this life. You know, the Pharisees would say, well, we don't do those things, but God would say, yeah, but I know your heart. You may do a pretty good job of masking it on the outside, but I know your hearts, and our hearts will continue to wonder. I think that it was Calvin that said that our hearts were idle factories, and it's just too true. Okay, and the other thing that Paul's correcting in this passage, and with him saying, I have not arrived, is this belief that we have moral liberty to live however we want to after we come to faith in Christ. Okay, it's this idea that because of Jesus' work on the cross, all we have to do is believe, and then we continue to live our lives however we want to. Even if our lives and the way that we live, if it's inconsistent with Christianity, and that's a lie as well. John 8.31 says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And First John would say, you know, you can't even love me unless you obey my commandments. They go together. So we cannot live however we want to, and then say that we believe, and Paul's saying that that is not true, we must uh, press on. So, quick rabbit trail. I think it's an appropriate rabbit trail, but we're going to look at it. So, um, to press on means to persevere, okay? So, persevere versus this phrase that I grew up hearing, and I want to be real careful that I dance this dance pretty carefully so I don't cause confusion, but I used to hear this phrase all the time, it was once saved, always saved. And it was just drilled into me, once saved, always saved, once saved, always saved. And I've got a little bit of struggle with the connotations that go along with that, so let's walk through and talk about what Paul is saying and what he's not saying. Okay, there's not enough time today for me to give, bring to you all of the scriptural proofs 
of what I'm trying to present. So if you're like, yeah, I'm still hung up on this, this conversation about once they always saved, can we talk about that? Absolutely. We'll go through and we'll look at scriptures together or I can email them to you. So just let me know here. But just hear this. A Christian is a disciple. We talked about Jesus' fellowship and we said a Christian is a disciple and a disciple is a Christian. Okay? So you got to get that. That's foundational. So make sure you're, you're listening and paying attention here. If you're a Christian, if you're really a Christian, you're a disciple. And if you're a disciple, you're a Christian. You cannot be, as some would teach, and they continue to teach this today, that you've got Christians that are going to heaven, and then you've got other people that are more serious than their disciples. Okay? That is inconsistent with Christianity. So if you're a Christian, you're a disciple. If you're a disciple, you're a Christian. And a disciple is a follower of Jesus. And a follower of Jesus is an obeyer of Scripture, okay? That's what Christianity is. If I am a Christian, I'm a disciple, and if I'm a disciple, I'm a follower. If I'm a follower, I'm an obeyer. This is what Christianity is. So the Reformers and the Puritans, they would use this term called perseverance of the saints to show that those who are truly Christians... True, true disciples, true Jesus followers, true Jesus obeyers, that they will persevere. They will press on. They will continue following him until the end. But many of us grew up hearing the phrase, once saved, always saved. So here's my problem with the phrase. It can unintentionally water down the words Christian and disciple and give people what I believe is an unbiblical notion if they believe in God and they believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that no matter what happens in their life and what their life looks like after this moment that they raise their hand and they say, yes, I believe that, that they're still going to go to heaven. And the reason I have a little bit of passion around this is because that was me at the age of 10 or 11. You know, I gave mental affirmation to what we would consider to be gospel truths. And from that moment until around age 19 to 20, I lived however I wanted to. I loved the world. I loved the things of the world. I had nothing to do with God. But people in my church would say, yeah, you're not there yet. But remember, there was this one Sunday and you raised your hand and you believe. So don't let the devil trick you into thinking that you don't believe, that you're not a Christian. And there's people all over our region who are clinging to this one moment of false hope that because they said this thing or did this thing at a point in time in their life, they're, they're going to go to heaven. And the phrase that they use is, man, once saved, always saved. Because remember, Jesus says, no one will pluck them out of my hands. And I'll never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. So Yeah, yeah, those are the passages. And so even though I'm not there right now, I still remember that one moment, and I'm going to cling to that. And I would say that that's not true. I would say that that's not true. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus died for you? And, and Paul goes on to say, unless, of course, you fail the test. He tells us that we should examine ourselves. Does my life... Does my perseverance, does my pressing on, do the decisions I make on a regular basis line up more with Christianity or more with someone who's not a believer? And if I fail that test, then I need to repent and I need to follow Jesus. Just understand Christians 
follow and they obey. What I'm not saying is that if you're truly a believer, that you're going to fall away or that you can come back and get saved again later. I think that that's completely theologically incorrect. So that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is if you're truly a believer, if you truly understand and believe the gospel, it will change the way you live because Jesus now lives within you. He says, I'm going away, but I'm going to come back to you. And he comes back through the power of the Holy Spirit, and he begins this process of conforming us to the image of his Son, and over time, we are not the same people. It is Christ in us. It is Galatians 2.20. You know, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but it's Christ Jesus who now lives within me. Okay, it's the passage that we looked at in Philippians 2.13. You work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to work according to his good pleasure. So we understand that because the supernatural creator is now within us, we can no longer be the same people. Consider this passage from 1 Corinthians 13.10-12. But when the perfect comes... The partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Okay, which is speaking to this process as we continue to move forward in our walk with the Lord, the things that we once did, we can no longer continue doing those. We begin to let those things go. We flee these youthful lusts that we had. He says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, But then, once Christ comes, we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall be fully known, even as, or I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Only when we see him face to face shall we see perfection. And shall we truly be perfected. perfected. And as we'll see later in this passage, we'll be transformed even into these heavenly bodies, which is part of the sermon next week, which I cannot wait uh, to get to. So Sam talked about it last week. You remember the glory of the gospel is not just that our sins are forgiven, but it's that we have a relationship with Christ. We are known by him and we have the ability to know him. And, And that's the purpose. And this is what and why we press on and that we strain forward for. Both of which press on and strain forward, speak of what can be a little bit of a struggle. So if someone has sold you a bill of goods that says that Christianity is easy, I apologize, okay? It's not, okay? Christianity is not easy. Now, Jesus says, come to me, you know, um, if you're weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that's true. When we get to the point where we're like, I can't, you can, I'm going to abide in you, and he begins to live out his supernatural life through us. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing. But the same Lord says in Matthew 7, 14, that the way is hard that leads to life. You know, 2 Timothy 1, 7 talks about exercising, training yourself unto godliness. You know, so there's no such thing as what we often hear, and Sam and I often talk about, as like this easy believism. There's no such thing as easy believism. You know, Jesus calls us to die for him. You know, one of the prayers I've prayed, you know, for my kids over the years is God help my daughter, my son to be willing to live for you 
but also to be willing to die for you. Because that's what the Lord's called us to, is to give up our lives on this earth for his sake. Don't get me wrong, our region is chock full of easy believism, but what I'm saying to you is, that's not Christianity. It's just not Christianity. One of the marks of the church, the true believer, is that we continue to press on. We continue to persevere. We continue to grow over and over until the point that we no longer exist. And the fact that we're willing to continue on this spiritual journey, despite the valleys, the setbacks, the disappointments, and the failure, is a key mark that we are truly His. Christians persevere. They press on. In Revelations 2 and 3, Sam and I went on a retreat about a month or so ago, and for whatever reason, the Lord took us to Revelation, and we began reading the first couple of books in Revelation, and we saw this. Seven times Jesus speaks to seven churches, and he says to the one who conquers. And let me read these to you. I won't read the whole passage, but in the you know, first church through the seventh church. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life. To the one who conquers um, will not be hurt by the second death. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. To the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white, gar white garments. To the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit on my throne. This conquering is speaking of persevering. It's speaking of continuing forward or as stated in truth number one, Christ followers, and this is in your worship guide, press on. And we strain forward. We always maintain forward progress. Sometimes you won't feel like it. Sometimes you will find yourself in a ditch. Sometimes you will say, I don't want to go to church today. Sometimes you will You'll, you'll be in a place where you're running to anything and everything except for God himself. Your pastor does that as well. But I can't stay there. And if you're truly a follower of Jesus, neither can you because Jesus lives within us. The Holy Spirit lives within us. He continues to call us to himself. So even though there may be some, some valleys if you look at your life from the time that you come to Christ until here, there's got to be this forward you know, movement where you're being more conformed to the image of His Son. So understand this, right? I haven't arrived. Paul hasn't arrived. And if Paul hasn't arrived, I haven't arrived. And Sam surely hasn't arrived. He's not even close. No, I'm kidding. You know, Josh Hubbard hasn't arrived. You know, Jennifer Vernon has not arrived. It's a work in all of us that the Lord is doing. But if you believe the gospel, and if I believe the gospel, we will press on and we will continue to persevere. It's one of the marks that we really are His. Paul then introduces us to this glorious secret of one of the ways that he's able to persevere and to press on. He says that there's this one thing that I do. 
this one thing that I do. Look at it. It's in the middle of Philippians 3.13. He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. The key, or one of the keys to Paul's success and being able to press on is that he was able to forget his past. Think about it. If you'll go back and look at the book of Acts, before Paul has this conversion, he is commanding that Stephen, Stephen be stoned. You remember this? Stephen is stoned. He dies. Paul is having people stoned, flogged, and put into prison. Think about how that could have underlined, could have wrecked his life and kept him from moving forward once he became a believer. But it didn't. He goes on to write two-thirds of the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 5.17, he says it this way, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And he understands what 1 John tells us, that if we confess our sins, our God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So in essence, what he's saying is, I'm not who I once was, therefore I will not be plagued by the things that I once did. I am not who I once was, and therefore I will not be plagued by the mistakes that I make moving forward either propitiation. He's declared me not guilty. Having believed we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He has set us free. If the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. And Paul would cling to that and it enabled him to be able to move forward, which moves us to our second and final truth of the day, which we're going to sit in for a few moments. As we follow Christ, we must intentionally maintain short memories regarding our pasts. We have to. If we follow Christ, we must intentionally maintain short memories regarding our pasts. There are people in this room this morning, probably around 60-so of you all, and there are individuals here that have a past that plagues them and that haunts them. What thing did you do that haunts you? What words did you speak? What part of your life do you wish that you could have swept away and never return? What would people think of you if they knew what you've done? or who you once were, or even this thing that you continue to struggle with. This is why I couldn't move on to truth number three or four. Because number two has the potential to change us if we can understand what the enemy is doing to use those things to keep us from moving forward. Hear me, friends. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Galatians 5.1. Jesus says in John 10.10, 10, 
that the enemy, the thief, he comes to steal and kill and destroy, to take your life from you and to give you no freedom at all. And Jesus says, I've come that they might have life, that you might have life and have it abundantly. You're free because what Christ has done, not because you have it all together, because you don't. You didn't then and you don't now. You and I have nothing to boast of except Jesus and the cross and propitiation and this transaction that took place because he chose to seek us out and to give himself for us, not because we deserved it. We cannot boast in anything or anyone except for in Christ. But you know what the enemy does? He accuses us. He wants us to live a guilt-ridden life and to be plagued by our pasts and current failures. He wants you to live a guilt-ridden life and to be so plagued that all you will do is just hide. You've heard me talk about this before, but remember, you know, in Genesis, what did Adam and Eve do after they sinned? Do you remember? They just went and they hid. And if the enemy can continue to accuse you, you'll just go off into hiding and you'll feel remorse for what you've done. You'll not read your Bible. You'll not pray. You'll definitely not move forward in trying to disciple other people and bring forth the kingdom because you're so guilt-ridden that you can only focus on yourself and your own sins and your own failures. And as long as the enemy can keep you there or keep me there, he most certainly will. Listen to these words from Revelation 12. This is, I'm going to go ahead and read 10 through 12. Well, I only have chapter, or verse number 10 up here. It says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. That's what he does. He accuses. And they have conquered him. Listen to this. Ah, it's a sermon within itself. And I didn't put it up there because I knew I would go off on a rabbit trail. But listen to what happens to the people that are being accused. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not live their lives so much as to shrink from death. Jesus has declared me free. I'm going to speak that to other people. And the worst thing you can do is to kill me. And even there, I have victory because the last enemy was death and Jesus overcame the grave. So accuser, take that. You have nothing, nothing, nothing against me. But that's what he does. He accuses us and it has us running into hiding. Verse 12, therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea. And I sense this right now with what we're going through. For the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Man, don't you feel that? It's like he knows his time is short. There was um, a moment in my life Oh gosh, five years ago, 
And a lot of y'all have heard, heard the story. I'm going to give you the short version of it. But I just knew that the Lord was calling me away from this thing that I had done for like 23 years, I guess 21 years or whatever at the time, where the Lord was calling me away from running the school. And I didn't know what was happening. I took a sabbatical. I went away for a couple of weeks. And I was in this place called Seabrook Island in South Carolina. And I was fasting and I was praying and I was reading. And I was trying to figure out what is happening, what's the Lord doing. Um, and I had this night this one particular night that I can't, you know, you've had an experience that's like you saw the rainbows yesterday or you went to the top of, you know, some big mountain or you had this experience and you try to like convey it to people or say, yeah, here's the picture. And like, ah, that's not good. That doesn't just show it. No, there's no way that I can describe to you what happened here. But I, I'm going to give you just a quick overview. There was a night, one particular night, I was tormented. I've never, I've never faced spiritual warfare like that before. If nothing else, I walked away from that one experience saying, there is a devil and he is real and he hates me. It was so real. It was so real that in many ways it changed my life. And I journaled the whole thing and I slept with the lights on for like two or three nights. It was just the weirdest thing. And I said, I don't think I'm going to come out of this thing alive. I know that sounds weird, and you're like, Jerry's gone off the deep end. And it felt like I had, but in the moment, it was real. And what he did was he accused me day and night. Everything that I had ever done in my life came back to haunt me. Things I had forgotten about came back to haunt me. Things I hadn't even done. I began questioning, like, did I do this thing? You know, it was so bad. And Revelation 12 just kind of jumped off the page in me, and I began to understand that's what he does. He can't take your salvation away, but he can accuse you. He can make you think that you're the scum of the earth and you're not worth anything so that you'll run into hiding. And I fought, and I fought, and I quoted Scripture, and I prayed, and I quoted Scripture, and just like this, one morning, he was gone. He was gone. I had complete joy, I had complete peace, and after that, the Lord confirmed to me that he was calling me away, and what I didn't know was that he was calling me to a little church plant in Elizabethan. All of that was part of that one experience, but the thing I want you to hear is, he came after me to accuse me. He will do the same thing to you, and when he does, you will either go into hiding or you will fight him by going back to the gospel truths and by reminding yourselves of what the word of God says. And that is what we have to do. This truth number two, man, it has the ability to change our lives. If only one person is being impacted in this room, it's me. As I think through the potential that we have if we can just keep short memories. While I'm here, I'm going to talk about statutes for a minute. Can I do that? While I'm here, because this actually ties into what we're seeing in our world right now with statues. Understand this. The second commandment is this. Can I read this to you? You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth below. That command is there for a reason, and we mean well when we decide that we want to honor people. But here's the problem with statues. The focus right now 
is on those that by word or actions have had prejudices in their life. Statues. John Wayne, George Washington, Robert E. Lee, etc. There is guilt to be found in all of these individuals if you go back far enough. Therefore, there is a push to knock these statues down. But here's the problem. Right now, the focus is on racial prejudices. How about when it's slander? How about when it's sexual sins? How about when it's theft? How about when it is coveting or whatever? The point is, Romans 3.23 has already declared it, we are all guilty. The ones that the statutes are erected in honor of, the ones that erected the statutes, and the ones that are tearing them down are all guilty. Is there anyone in this room this morning that if a statute was erected in your honor, that if down the road one day people started digging into your life, would they find something in your past? Something you said or something that you did? Of course they would. Off with this head. You know, cut her head off. Knock the statues down. That's exactly what would happen. Because we all have stuff in our pasts. There's stuff there. It is in all of us. You know, in John chapter 8, the woman caught in adultery. They bring her before Jesus, and they're like, okay, so what are you going to do? She was just caught in adultery. And Jesus looks up and he says, how about this? How about he who is without sin? Why don't you be the first one to cast a stone? That's all he said. And then one by one, people dropped their stones and they walked away, beginning with the oldest, if you'll go look at the passage, to the youngest. Because the the longer you live, the older you are, the more stuff you have in your righteous, which reminds us that we're all guilty. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, not even one, which points us back to the glory of the gospel. In Isaiah 43 and Hebrews 12, he will remember our sins no more. Now, we can't block them from our memory banks. I wish we could, but we can choose to remember only to the point where we're pointing ourselves to the grandeur of the gospel, but not for our paralysis, okay, which brings guilt. Again, the key is to press on. How do I press on knowing the things that I've done and I'm not, I can't forget all of them. Well, I have to go back and apply the gospel and thank Jesus that, yeah, he forgave that and he forgave that, even that and that and that. The gospel is greater than everything that I have ever done in my life. And I've coined this new phrase. I call it gospel forget, gospel forgetfulness. I've got short-term memory issues. If you're around me long enough, you'll, you'll recognize that. But gospel forgetfulness is something that we should actually embrace and not run from our past failures and even our successes, okay? So Paul didn't dwell on his successes either. So we have churches in our region that seem to always want to talk about back then or back in the glory days or when we had this big revival or when our church was flourishing. Paul could have done the same thing. You know, he could have done the same thing. I mean, the guy was a stud. 
He, he planted church after church after church. He was discipling people and speaking the word of God boldly. He was being stoned and being like, okay, is that all you got? Let's keep on moving forward. One of the commentators says it this way. It says, he did not let his mind dwell on these things. He did not keep turning over and over in his mind the good old days and active service before he was imprisoned. He did not constantly remind himself of all of his achievements nor continually recount those special high points of his intimate relationship with Christ. He forgets continually and intentionally forgets what is behind in order to press on, in order to press on. He's not going to be distracted by the trophies of his past, and he's not going to be distracted by the failures, even the stoning and the death of someone like Stephen. He says, no, I'm going to press on. Gospel forgetfulness is what he brings to us. And then he goes on to give two additional truths of how we can successfully press on, but you will not hear those this morning because Jerry is running out of time. I close with these two verses from 1 John 5, 4 and 5. Listen to this as we press on. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? We press on because we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We persevere because the Holy Spirit is conforming us to the image of His Son one day at a time. It's the mark of someone who believes. So how about you? And me, are you someone right now that is pressing on, that is straining forward, clinging to Christ day by day as you overcome the world? Or are you just hanging on for dear life? Or has the accuser been accusing you to such a degree that you have so much guilt that you're doing nothing for the kingdom of God except for hiding? I pray that you'll have gospel forgetfulness. Or maybe there are people that are in this room that are like I was when I was younger. You know, I look back at a moment that I gave a verbal consent to something, but it did not change the way that I lived. And you would say, I don't know that I've really embraced Jesus' fellowship. I don't know that I'm truly a disciple. Or maybe all of this is new to you. And you're like, I'm living for this world. I need Jesus. I don't know where you're at. I don't know where you're at. But I do know that like Paul, none of us have arrived. And the only answer is Christ. The only answer is Christ. I want to pray for us. In typical Redstone fashion, I'm going to ask you, is the Lord doing a work in your life that you want to share? And then I think we're going to sing a little bit after that. But right now, let's just ask the Holy Spirit to have His way with us. Lord, You've called us to conquer, to persevere, and to press on because You are the conquering King who lives within us. Help us 
to see and embrace that truth this morning. May it change the way we live our lives. And if there's anyone who says, I'm not following Jesus, but I want to, today is the day of salvation. May they not walk out of here without letting us know that. And if there are people that are in hiding because they're being accused, may they apply gospel forgetfulness in such a way that they will be transformed and that this burden that they're carrying will be lifted and that they would understand that they truly are free. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.